Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. But I want you to try to forget about everything that's happening outside this room right now and try to live in the moment. I believe one of the things that causes people to miss the goodness of God is not living in the moment. Thinking about the past thinking about the future, but not living in the moment. The moment we have right now, God has commanded us to gather together on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of His Son and to pay attention to the reading of the Scripture and the teaching thereof. So whether you have to lock it in one time or every eight seconds, if you have to remind yourself, come on, man, lock it in. Learn something. Listen. Get something. I promise you, if you listen intently beyond my country accent, beyond my humor, behind my southernisms, behind my ghettoisms, behind all of my personality. If you listen intently, God will say something to you in spite of me. This is the God we serve. I'm going to be reading out of his word, and the Bible says his word will always accomplish what he sets it forth to do, and it will never return to him void. I'm believing for a blessing, a breakthrough for many of you in this room today. I'm believing for uh, new levels of growth in your life, and I want you to play your part today. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, There Has to Be More to Church Than Most People See. Oh, that's enough right there. We could take the offering and go home, but we're going to pray and talk about it. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. I pray that you'd anoint me now to say only the things that would honor you. God, teach us from your word by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. There has to be more to church than most people see. Sometimes creative preachers, authors, storytellers, movie writers hide a small piece of the plot in the title of their play or their movie or their sermon. Uh, this is the whole piece right here. This, 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 is, no, this is no teaser uh, title. This is a reality and if you have not got two, four, five, six, seven answers that, that cause this to be true, then you're in the right place at the right time because you will be before you leave here. Because here's the reality. So many people have been to church and gotten nothing out of it. There'll be people in this room today that get nothing out of this of eternal value. Maybe they liked a song. Maybe they enjoyed shaking someone's hand. Maybe they were glad that they came and made them feel better as a person. But I'm talking about moving from the natural to the supernatural. I'm talking about moving from what 
human beings can accomplish to what only God could accomplish. And I want to tell you something. The majority of what happens in every church, every time they gather together, including this one, the majority of what happens happens under human ability and not under supernatural divine authority. Mm. Y'all, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching better than y'all are staring at me. But if you've ever wondered the, the value of church, what's really going on? Why do we have to be a church all the time? Understand that there is, say there is, there is way more to church than what most people see. We're going to get into it and we're going to move through it. I, I want to say uh, four things right off the bat that ought to change everyone in this room's view about church that doesn't have the right view about church. Four words I got for you. Here they are. Jesus loves the church. If you ever wonder the value of the church, understand Jesus loves the church. You you might really just think that uh, somebody is just all that and a bag of chips. You might just really think that somebody is just amazing and fantastic. You might really just, you might love Deacon Dixon. Um, he's been extra cautious. Some people are going to wonder, so I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll just ask. Uh, he got a little sniffle going on, and he just decided to be safe rather than sorry and uh, still want to come and praise and worship God. But so he put his little special medical mask on today, and uh, he's keeping himself and everybody safe around him, and that's wise and that's smart. Uh, but he still pushed his way to be in the house of the Lord. And so if you're wondering why he's wearing a mask, uh, that, that's, that's preventative, precautionary, keeping you alive. Amen? Uh, he already had COVID, beat it down like a dog, and kept going. So, but if you were trying to say, you know what, I really like Deacon Dixon. He's a nice guy. I just don't want to have nothing to do with his wife. Now, here's the thing. That is so unnatural. There's, there's 20 different things going in my mind. Y'all think I don't have a filter. Y'all think, well, pastor, just say anything. No, uh, the, the thing that I said that you thought he'll, he'll just say anything, that was my 95th option. The first 94, I decided I can't say that out loud in front of everybody. But if you just, it's unnatural to try to have a relationship with a man, a, a friendship with a man while, while disliking his bride. Just, it just doesn't work that way. Because if you're a guy and you're, you're all sweet on uh, Deacon Dixon, but you don't like his wife, he's going to scratch his head and think, well, there might be some sugar in that tank. I'm not really sure. Uh, if you're a woman and you try to have a relationship with Deacon Dixon and disrespect his wife, you might get beat up in the parking lot. Either way, it's not going to go. She wouldn't really beat you up in front of everybody. Um, but she might run into you at the mall one day. Um, it's just unnatural. It's unnatural. But so many people in 2022, especially in America, checking this silly box, I'm spiritual but not religious. What that means is I, they're delusional about their spirituality and they don't love the God of the Bible. Because here's the thing, the God of the Bible loves church that the God of the Bible wrote in the Bible should be established in every city with elders and deacons and people 
meeting together to minister to a community and to encourage each other. And so many people now, I've heard, I've, I've had so many people, even just this past week, somebody was telling me that, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I've given up on organized religion. Here's my question. Who organized that religion? They all think that man organized religion. Denominations organized. No, God himself established the church. God himself said there should be local churches. And if you study the Bible, you will see not only does God authorize, ordain, and organize churches, but here are the four words I said to you earlier, and don't miss them. Jesus loves the church. You want to call yourself a Christian? If Jesus loves the church, guess what Christians do? Christians love the church. Here's the command in verse 25 of our opening text. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Not only does Jesus love the church, he gave himself for He sacrificed, suffered, bled, and died for the church so there could be a church. And we got people saying, well, if they expect me to put up one more table tonight, I'm, I've, I've gone too far. None of us have suffered, bled, and died. Um, for the church, but Jesus did because he loves the church that much, and we claim that we want to be like Jesus, but if we're going to be like Jesus, then we need to sacrificially, actively, with a proof text, show forth the love that we have for the church. The Bible says that we are all part of one body. If if God is your father uh, and God is my father, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. If you are part of the body of Christ, and I am too, we are connected to each other. The Bible says that we are all one body connected together by the Spirit of God with Jesus being the head of the body. Another illustration says that he is the groom and we are the bride. There's actually going to be a giant feast in heaven when we get presented uh, to the bridegroom at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I've had people ask me, well, how does that work out for dudes? I'm like, what what do you mean? They're like, well, you're a man. How are you going to be the bride? I'm not even phased or concerned by that. Uh, If if the Lord lets me sit down at a a feast uh, and he wants to call me the bride, he calls me whatever he wants to call me. I'm just like those old saints uh, that that when, when they went marching in, they just wanted to be in that number. Don't get confused about the small stuff. Rejoice on the big stuff. God loves the church. He gave himself for the church. He is the groom, and we are the bride. And I'm promising you this. All these people out there that don't go to church, all these people out there claiming that they have a relationship with God, but they have no relationship with the church, they are self-delusional. They are false brethren. They do not understand God and one day when they stand up before Jesus in, in the judgment that he described in Matthew chapter 7, they're going to say, but Lord, I did all these cool things. And he's going to say, but I never knew you. Because here's the reality. If you ever really meet God for real, if he changes your heart, you're going to want to come to church even if everybody around you is whack. You're going to want to come to church even if you don't understand why the people do what the people do. So I want you to adopt what I have adopted in my own life, 
And I didn't have to learn this lesson the hard way. It just always came easy for me. I go to church for God, not for people. I don't go to church for the parking lot. I don't go to church for the programs that they have for babies. I don't go to church for the summer uh, bikini trips to the witnessing on Daytona Beach. There ain't no single man ever needed that. Man, I was at a church, a mega church one time. Every year they'd take a retreat to Daytona Beach. It's a four-day trip, uh, two hours of passing out tracks, and, you know, four, four other days of walking up and down the beach ha half naked. And I never went to church for any of that stuff. I go to church because the Bible tells me to go to church. Well, I, I can be a Christian, and not, I, I hear people say it all the time, I, I, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Uh, well, actually, you do. You emphatically have to go to church to be a Christian. Can you get to heaven without going to church? You can't. We have no evidence that the thief on the cross ever went to heaven. But we do have evidence that he received Christ as his Savior, and Jesus saved him and took him to heaven. You can go to heaven in rare, wild, unusual circumstances without going to church, but you cannot be a Christian without going to church because the word Christian means like Christ, and Christ went to church. I mean, here's the sad reality. I, uh, and I didn't even, I, sports has gotten so political. I've, I've, I've just done away with the majority of sports in my life. I have, doesn't stop people from harassing uh, me when uh, the Seminole Deacon West went outside to check on something. The, the Seminole, that was Hugo's Seminole fan. The so Seminoles uh, at, beat, beat the Gators. Uh, here, here's what's funny. Uh, a team, in, there you go, I'm talking about them criminals. And the fans got all excited. The fans got all excited that a top 20 team, Florida finally crawled its way back into the top 20, caught a Florida Gator team on a down year. I mean, what was it like, an 8-3 team playing a 6-6 six six team? Yeah, yeah, the team was supposed to win that won. And, and the, the Seminoles barely creeped by them by one touchdown. I mean, gave up 38 points to a bad Florida team. And, and people, you know, texting me, ah, the Gators lost the game. I'm like, I didn't even watch the game. It's too, all, it's worse to become so political, um, I don't even mess with it. But here's the reality. Never been a Seminole fan. Um, you know, college sports should be played by colleges that, you know, men, men's college programs should be played by colleges that have men in it. Just left Florida State out for, I mean, it was all girls' school until, what, last month? A year ago? Now, <laughs> now I, do, I do remember in the 80s that, hey, if, if this is your thing, be proud of Florida State because they, they were the first um, large university to make big noise. They, they voted a man as their homecoming queen. So, you know, at least we know they're progressive. I say all that to say I don't care about the Florida State Seminoles. I care less and less about sports as, as they get more political. But if I got to heaven and God said, we're going to cheer on the Florida State Seminoles. Come on out, Bobby Bowden. Um, I would be right there with, uh, 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 u
I'm on team God. Whatever God tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And God said, go to church. That's not enough for most people. God says he loves the church. That's not enough for most people. God says he's married even to the backsliding church. But people want to act like, well, I, don't, I can be a Christian without going to church. You can't. You can't be like Christ without going to church. You can't, you can't be, if Bobby Bowden was your hero, you can't be like Bobby Bowden uh, and, and, and love the Florida Gators more than the Florida State Seminoles. It, it's just not how it works. You can't hate on the thing that somebody loves and claim you love them too. And I see so many people giving up on organized religion. Well, I love God. I'm just not into the whole church thing. You know, it's man-made corruption. It's just a, it's just a money grab for rich people. Uh, no, if you took every church out of America right now today, think, think of the negative impact that would have on people. Where would people go for free counseling? Where would people go for free food? Where would people go for free clothing? Where would people go that have been outcast and had no hope and no friends anywhere to find hope and friendship? You, it, the church, there's so much more going on in the church than people know, but the bottom line is God commands us to, to be like Christ, and there is no doubt Jesus loves the church. Can anybody say amen? Not only does Jesus love the church, but Jesus proved it. Jesus was a church-going man. Jesus didn't just talk one way and live a different way. He loved the church, and hear this. He was always at the church. When we started this church, I was younger. Uh, since then, I've gotten older. I've had two kids, broke my back twice, my neck once, been harassed by 7,913,211 crazy people. Um, but when we first started, we were busy. We were having services all the time because I was developing ministry teams at a brand-new church. Um, and Gail was there helping every step of the way. So, you know, there was, there was a lot of energy. There was a lot of activity. We were actually having church um, five days a week. And so many people ask, well, I've never even heard of this. You know, there were, there was, there were 15 of us. And people are like, I've never even heard of anybody going to church five days a week. Why do we go to church five days a week? And it just hit me. I said it one. I said it this the first time somebody asked, and I thought that's that's just my answer from from now on out. Anybody ask me why we have church so much? Why do we have church five days a week? Anybody anybody know why why I told them we had church five days a week? Because we're too lazy to have it seven days a week. They never asked again why we have church five days. They thought, he'll put it on six and seven days. Jesus went to church every day of his life. That was his, that was his habit. Every week at a minimum. But they went to church at the hour of prayer as well, uh, him and the disciples. But Jesus loved the church. He was a church-going person. If you want to call yourself a Christian, you're going to have to figure out how to love the church and how to be committed to being in church. Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about the Lord's childhood. We, we, see, the, we see the scene uh, at the presentation of the temple, but then about his, his, his uh, young years, uh, we only have one story from his young years, and that's when he got old enough to travel finally to Jerusalem, to the big festival with his family. He was 12 years old. Uh, he was coming into his manhood. He was allowed to attend 
Big people church, some of y'all remember that, where you said if you go to kids' church, then you moved up. He's moving up into big church, and uh, we, we get a peek into his life uh, out of St. Luke's Gospel. Uh, the family travels. Jesus stays behind. They don't even realize it. They're like, you know, and, and this is crazy because you would think the parents should know where the kid is, right? I mean, some, sometimes the kids don't know where the parents are. We were locking everything up late last night. Uh, was, was nobody left here but me, my kids, uh, Dina, Scott, and Bliss's two kids, and Bliss would know where to be found. So sometimes the parents lose the kids. Sometimes the kids lose the parent. Uh, I, Deacon Scott was locking up. We were alarming everything. And I, I see her kids sitting in her car, and I'm like, Anybody know where Bliss is? We can't turn these alarms. So she's roaming around in here somewhere. And so I walked over to the door, and I'm like, where, where's your mom? I don't know. We've been calling her. Well, let me call her. Nothing. I'm like, write the voicemail. I'm like, well, she got to be in the building somewhere. She was in the chapel cleaning some stuff up. But here's what's crazy. She didn't lose her kids. Kids lost her. But it wasn't for three days. <laughs> you know, it was three minutes. How do you lose a kid for three days and not notice? Well, they, they were communal. They went, went on a long walk. If all of us said, hey, look, you know, we got to walk to Orange Park Mall. We're going to walk down as a group. We're going to have a service down there. We're going to offer uh, our gifts to the Lord. Then we're going to walk back. You know, if you got a whole bunch of kids and, you know, you're counting on everybody to watch yours, you, you might come up one short. So they come up one short. They go back. Three days they've been hunting Jesus. And listen to what the scripture says in Luke 2, 48. His parents didn't know what to think. Now, so who, who are these parents that the Bible's talking about? Mary and Joseph. Okay. Um, son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? <laughs> that sounds like people in today's world. Things aren't going right. They wear it personally. Listen, God's got a reason to do everything that he does. And it took them 12 years of the Lord's life to, to get this lesson taught to them firsthand. She said, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. And Jesus comes back in verse 49 and says, but why did you need to search? He asked, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? He said, search. What did what, y'all think? I was at the dog track? Y'all been searching for me? Where, at the library? Y'all been searching for me, what, at the craps table? Don't, don't you know if you're looking for Jesus where the best place to find him is? In his father's house. They were shocked that it took them that long to find him. He was shocked that it took them that long not to look in the right spot. Uh, now, we understand, as they understood then, that the Bible teaches that God is everywhere. It's not a new concept. This is an Old Testament concept. This is from the beginning. God has taught us that he is omnipresent. God is everywhere at all times. Here's what's crazy. Not just is he everywhere at all times. He's completely everywhere at all times. It's not like he's a little here, but mostly here. No, he's all, uh, all the way here, 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 and here. All, all, everywhere at the same time in the same capacity. And we understand what it means for God to be everywhere. But even knowing that doctrine, God's people have always understood there's a special connection between 
getting close to God and being in the corporate worship. Jesus said where two or three are gathered in his name that he's there in the midst of them. And, and he obviously he's everywhere, but there's a special anointing of God on being in the house of the Lord. King David knew it. King David had accomplished so much in his lifetime. He, he had been a great worshiper, a great warrior. He had been a great king. He had been a coward and a, and a, back, uh, a backslider and uh, uh, hiding from his own family, running in fear. He'd done a lot of good stuff, a lot of bad stuff. But one of the things he said that really stands out to me was when he let the heart, his heart's desire be made known uh, in the Scripture that he might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He, he wanted to stand one more time that my feet might be in the Lord's house one more time. And I'm not sure how many of you driving here today, walking here today, get, get, get making your way here today thought, oh, my heart's desire is that I'd just be able to be in one. I, I hope the traffic allows and this car will get me there and, it, and it, the, the earth doesn't explode and I get to stand in the presence of God's house one more time. We do not put the value on being in the house of the Lord that King David did, that the Old Testament believers did, that the early saints in the first church did, that the apostles did. He said, didn't you know I must be in my father's house? There's, there's a connection coming. Now, obviously, Jesus understands, and here, here's the thing. This, the, sometimes people get well-intended concepts, but when they take them too far, it becomes heresy. Because here's a real truth. Here's a real truth that was sprung forth by someone with a good concept. The church, listen to this cliche, the church is not the bricks and the steeple. The church is the, that's awesome. Well, we don't go to church. We are the church. Okay, well, now you're getting further and further away from Bible, and you're just, you, you, you're just conflating issues at this point. Yeah, yeah, we are the church everywhere we go. We carry the Spirit of God with us everywhere we go. Um, but we, do go, uh, we don't go to church. We are the, there are people that have that written on their walls. They have that written in their, their, their statement of faith. We, we're not, we don't go to, uh, no, we do go to church. We are the church, and we go to church. Just like uh, Deacon West, he is a Florida State Seminole football fan. And sometimes he might even go to Tallahassee. We are the church, but we still go to church. Amen? Amen. I got to get my Tallahassee jab in real quick. And this is why you should be careful what you, what you read, what you see, movies you go to. Because sometimes bad stuff will get in your, in your mind and... 30 years later, you'd be repeating in front of a room full of people in a church, and they'd be wondering, what's wrong with him? Uh, I, I, saw, I saw a great sign uh, one time. It said, how to find Tallahassee if, uh, from, from South Florida. It was a University of Miami that put this out. That's also known as the U for all you Miami fans. It said, go north until you smell it. Go west until you step in it. Welcome to Tallahassee. I thought, hmm, that's not a Tallahassee fan. And that ought to bother every Seminole fan. But the reality is, even Seminole fans are Seminole fans sitting at the house. 
There's Seminole fans sitting at the restaurant, and sometimes there's Seminole fans sitting at the stadium. And I promise you, if they're big-time Seminole fans, they've been in the stadium. Anybody think I've ever seen an Atlanta Braves foot, uh, baseball game? You can absolutely believe it. Anybody think I ever saw a Miami Dolphins football game live and in person? You can absolutely believe that. Anybody think I ever saw Boston Celtics play live and in person? You can count on that. Why? Because people go to watch and be a part of things that celebrate things that they love. And when you start having problem coming to church, when you don't feel this, I need to be in my fire. Oh, I can worship God anywhere. I don't have to go to church to worship God. I can worship God on the boat at the lake. I already told you my greatest comeback for those liars. Well, I don't have to go to church on Sunday to worship God. I can worship God from my bed. I can worship God working in my backyard. I can worship God at the beach. I just look at them and say, yeah, you could, but do you? And if they have any bit of honesty at all. <laughs> well, come on. Key, 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 what? You don't. And you certainly aren't using your gifts and talents and your finances to support local ministry from doing all those other things. Jesus understood the value. Uh, he knew that there was no building that could contain the fullness of God's presence, yet he still consistently referred to the building that people gathered in in the name of Jehovah as my father's house. He said it here. He said it in Luke 19. It's been referred to as the father's house, the uh, God's house in many different places. And you ought to have a mindset when you come into this place. This is my father's house. This is the place we go. Is this the only place you can find God? No. But did God promise when we gather in his name that he's here with us? Yes. So this is a place that you can find lots of things in the Father's house. And there's a blessing on the time that we spent here. In Luke 4, 16, the Bible talking about Jesus says, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So not only was it his custom to be in church, he was involved when he went to church. He didn't just go sit in church, hang out, wait for it to be over, wonder, wonder when the preacher was going to shut up. He went. It was his custom. It was his manner of lifestyle. It was his consistent way of living, and he got involved. Not only did Jesus love the church and go to church, all the prophets and the apostles loved the church and went to the church. Uh, people who who don't love the Lord, uh, people who don't love the church but say they love the Lord, they got a real problem. They, 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 they're conflating some things, and they are what the Bible calls false brethren. The Bible talks about people who leave the church, who come in for a while. See, you don't know who's saved and who's not, and, and, and you shouldn't be trying to figure it out. Well, I don't believe that person's a Christian. Uh, well, stay in your lane and mind your business. The Bible says examine your own self to see if you're even in the faith. Because here's the reality. Folk can fool you. There, if you look at the life of David, there are times you look at the life of David, you thought he was the greatest Christian that ever lived. Time, sometimes you look at the life of David, you think this, 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 this slide joker right here got no Jesus at all. 
people can fool you because the Bible says that we can only look on the outside, but God can see the heart. Uh, but, but I'm going to tell you, um, people who come to church, we got to understand everybody comes to church not necessarily going to heaven. Sitting in a garage don't make you a car. Sitting in a church don't make you a Christian. But if you don't come at all, that, there's a problem with that. But coming and trying to decide who's saved and who isn't, we leave that up to the Lord because there's a lot of people who come to church but don't have a relationship with God outside the church. The Bible calls them false brethren. The Bible talks about people who come in for a while and look the part, play the part, act the part, um, but then they leave. The Bible tells us they went out from us because they were not part of us. For if they'd been part of us, they'd have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest they were not part of us. People say, why don't so-and-so come to church anymore? Because they were never even really part of the Lord's church. They tried religion. They tried local church without finding the church that God presides over. And I hope that you're not that person who's just trying church, trying God. I hope you come to church, one, because God says for us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Um, and he, he said it would happen more and more as that final day was approaching. But it also, there ought to be a drive in you that says, I want to be around like-minded believers. I want to get around some other Christians. I want to, I want to sing some songs with some people. I want to be, uh, a, a party's better with five people than it is with one. You ought to want to be around some people that, that want to celebrate God, and you need a place where you can use your gifts and your talents and your resources to advance God's kingdom. But the very structure of Christianity, uh, can, the setup of it can be seen in Ephesians 2.20. Check this verse out. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. The very building of religion that we sit on, uh, the foundation of that has been laid out by the apostles and the prophets. You study what the apostles and the prophets said. The Bible said we have all these stories for our examples so that we can learn from them. We, we got to look into the word of God, see what the apostles and prophets said, see what they did, see how they lived. Because if you want what others have, you got to do what they did to get it. But Jesus Christ is the ultimate cornerstone. And Jesus loved the church, went to church. The apostles and prophets loved the church, went to church. They all ended up sacrificing and serving and giving their entire life for the advancement of Christianity. And Christianity moves throughout the entire earth. But a big piece of the work that's done in the kingdom of God, the hands and feet that are moving throughout the earth, gathered together on Sunday in local churches because that's the way the apostles, the prophets, and Jesus did it. And that's the foundation of our religion. Now, having said all that, let me go to the other side. Going to church will not get you to heaven. Going to, showing up to a church doesn't make you a Christian. There's way more to it than that. I'm not saying that going to church is the end-all, be-all, but I'm saying if you claim that you love the Lord and you don't go to church, uh, you might have a problem convincing me of that. If you come up to me and you tell me um, that you are a fan of a certain team, now, Jake is, he's here today, so I'll pick on him. Jake is a tortured New England Patriots fan. <laughs> you understand that, huh? Uh, tortured New England Patriots fan. Well, his whole lifetime, it was just easy to be a New England Patriots fan because they, they just won everything. I mean, it's just Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Uh, we were on vacation one time. Dina was with us. Uh, the Patriots were playing somebody, and they were just beating the brakes off them. Who, who, who were they playing that night? Jacksonville? 
So we're downstairs in this basement. It's got a, it's a game room. Uh, it's house rental. We, get, we got in a cab, uh, cabin in the mountains. Beautiful. The bottom floor was a pool table. They had a wet bar down there, big TV, game room. And me and Seth, we're shooting pool. Dina is hanging out watching the game with Jake because Jake's glued to it. And they, they were up by 30, 40, 50 points. And Dina's like, well, doesn't it just get boring to, to watch them win? They're winning by so much. Don't you lose interest when they – he said, I wish they'd win by 100 every game. <laughs> he said, no. Uh, I mean, some people are like, well, we got this game handled. We're up by 60 with three minutes to go. We may as well go ahead and turn this off and go, no, not Jake. Mm, no, we, we, might get, we might get, you know, 20 more points in these last three minutes. And so, but now that Tom Brady's gone, uh, you know, still, still a Patriot fan because uh, we don't change. Uh, he'd be, be brought up to be loyal and consistent. But it's not as easy. Uh, to, to be a Patriot fan without Tom Brady. Um, it's not as easy to be a Patriot fan when, when, they, when they're not. I mean, y'all, y'all, some of y'all football fans, y'all remember they went a whole season and didn't lose a game until the last one. Or another time they went a whole season, lost one game, and won the last one. So it was pretty easy to, to be a fan for them. But now, not so much. But I know for sure, if my memory is getting old, and because I wasn't, you know, a diehard Patriot fan the way my son was, I don't even have to e- even remember the name of a player. I, I can just have a glimpse uh, of a guy. I, I was like, I asked him yesterday, I was trying to think of somebody. I'm like, who was that uh, big white guy that played defense for, for the Patriots back in the day? He said, oh, you're talking about Lawrence Guy? I'm like, man, I hadn't heard that name. This was never a superstar. This is not a Hall of Famer. It's just some random dude that we watch play football. But, it, but in Jake's mind, that's a big piece of the cog. In the, I mean, that's part of his whole, you know, massive sculpture of New England Patriots. What am I telling you? If you find a real fan, not only do they love their team, they know where their team plays, and they know who plays for their team. If you try to tell... Jake, that you're a New England Patriots fan and you don't know who the starting quarterback is for the New England Patriots, you have just outed yourself as someone that he does not believe in. Should, should a Patriots fan know who the Patriots quarterback is? Who's the Patriots quarterback? You know anything about what, where Mac Jones was before he went to New England? From Jacksonville, went to Alabama. See, this is a fan here. You understand what I'm saying? This, he knows where, where, where this man grew up, where he, went, where he played in high school, where he played in college. He knows, how, you know, he's got it already figured out in his mind how much longer they're going to let him try to be the quarterback of the Patriots before they replace him. Um, that is a real fan. If you just come to church, but you don't know anything about the Bible, hmm. If you, run, if you run for president and you claim that you're a Christian um, and you stand up and say uh, that you, uh, you quote two Corinthians, when Donald Trump stood up at a pulpit and, and he said, well, as, as, as the Bible says in two Corinthians, I'm like, there ain't no Christianity there. 
Ain't nobody been in church three times in their life that didn't know it's 2 Corinthians. It's not, but his scriptwriter wrote for him the number two and Corinthians. How many, how many of y'all know uh, you can read off somebody else's script and make it sound like you know what you're talking about? But if people really know what the subject is, you talk long enough, they'll figure out, eh, you really don't understand this the way we understand this. And there are people sitting in churches today that think they're saved, but they're not. They claim they love the Lord, but they don't. And every time their lifestyle screams two Corinthians, every real Christian looks at them and thinks, Dead a goat. Talking about something they don't possess. The Bible says they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Being abominable and disobedient to every good work, reprobate. Talking about God and truly loving God uh, is, is on a whole different level. we got to understand why we have church, what the value of it is, why did Jesus love the church so much that he gave himself for it, why did the apostles and prophets build their lives inside churches and churches inside their lives. Let's listen to some apostolic people when it comes to church. In Acts eleven twenty five, the Bible says, Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. Why would he be looking for Saul in Tarsus? Anybody? Because that's where the man was from. I mean, if you want to look for me, uh, if you want to find some people in this room, now I'm not going to out your address because, you know, some people are, you know, private about that. But if you want to look for some people in, sitting in this room right now on, on, on this side of the room, you could look for them off 103rd Street. Now, if, if I'm at home, you won't find me off 103rd Street. If you look for me and I'm in my home, you have to go to Fleming Island. We got some people. Uh, what, what's, what's out of, uh, y'all consider north side? Northwest side? Arlington? South side? What side of town you on? For how long? Where were you before that? South side. I, I, I'm old. Stuff sticks in my head. So if, you, if you're looking for somebody... Chances are a good place to find them is their hometown, where, where, where they live. Barnabas knew that Saul lived in Tarsus, so he's going to look for him in verse 25. In verse 26, it says, when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there, listen, with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that believers were first called Christians. They called Believers, Christians, as a mockery. It was a term of derision. It was a, look at the little Christians. Uh, they, you're trying to be like Jesus. Uh, it, it'd be like, oh, yeah, like if, if, if Daryl walked into the room. Wait, wave at everybody, Daryl, so everybody know who you are. If Daryl walked into the room and, and um, four, four of us were walking behind him and they, they just said, oh, well, look at Daryl and all his little followers. Look at the little Daryls. Coming in, uh, that, that's the kind of flavor they put on this word Christian. But ultimately, by and by, it became a badge of honor. Because if you want to be associated with anybody, Christ is the one that you ultimately ought to be associated with the most. But both of these apostles, Barnabas and Paul, 
stayed. That word stayed is in a continuous tense. They were not just going to church. They were constantly there. They wrapped their life up inside it. Now, why did they only stay for a year? Is that the right amount of time? No, God had a call on their life. They were going establishing churches all over two continents. Now, the structure of our religion is the foundation that the apostles and prophets laid. Jesus is the cornerstone. Told you church can't save you. Just coming to church. If all you do is come to church, but you never find Jesus, all you've done is clutter up your calendar and put yourself around people that are going to gossip about you. Why do Christians gossip? No, but a lot of lost people in church pretending to be Christians gossip. And some Christians who haven't been delivered from gossiping gossip, just like some of us who are Christians that haven't been delivered from overeating still like to get in that work. We're all in our process, but the reality is there's more to being a Christian than going to church, but church is part of it now most people when they go to church they don't they don't see uh that there's more to church than what they know so a lot of people don't go i told you the number one reason people don't go is because all the what hypocrites and i tell them and you need to tell them that's not true you you go you go to winn dixie there's hypocrites in winn dixie you go to walmart and for sure there's hypocrites in walmart you go to Publix, you go to your bank, you go into your bathroom and look in your mirror, there's hypocrites there. The Bible says everyone's a hypocrite. So don't, don't accept for yourself or from anybody else that they don't go to places where hypocrites gather. Uh, they send their children to schools, there's hypocrites there. They homeschool their kids in their own homes, there's hypocrites there. There's no escaping, that's just a bad excuse, but people have used it a lot. I, I like what I read one author said, people primarily don't go to church because they've been to church and they didn't like what they saw. And I got to thinking about that and I thought, you know what? I could, I could see that. I could see someone coming to church and saying, no, nah, I tried it. I didn't, I didn't see much about it because they saw with their natural eyes, but they didn't see anything because they didn't have spiritual eyes to see with. And as Christians, we need to see beyond what the unsaved eye sees about church and what it is that happens in a church. They didn't get much out of going to church, but listen, we have to go to church because we've been commanded to be in church. So we need to be like Christ. We need to, we need to love the church and we need to be in the church. So now I want to spend a few minutes talking about what church is and what it should be. Now, when I say what it is and what it should be, I've just inferred that the church may not be all that what? Uh, may not be all that it should be. It is what it is. But I want us, I, I, I'm going to expose what it is, but then I'm going to show you what it should be. Because there's seven things that we do here every time we have Sunday morning church. Seven things. You, if you know our, our format, you, you, could be able, you, you could be able to list these seven things. Don't even put them on the board yet, Elder. Uh, do you have them all on one frame or on seven different frames? Okay. Um, let, let's, um, we're going to try to figure out what's the first thing. How, how do we kick our, our service off? We, we start every Sunday morning service with what? Uh, let's say singing. Singing, yeah. That's, that's the first thing. That, that's a, it, you, can't all, you can't really call what some people are doing praise and worship. We'll get into that in a minute. So after the singing, I stand up and tell everybody to do what? 
greet each other, shake each other's hand. So we see that all the time, right? So there's some singing going on. There's some handshaking going on. And then the, the, the next thing that happens is I, I typically read y'all the what? Then now, see, y'all been to church so long, y'all know the whole format. We, we got a, a seven-part process here. Uh, we're, we're almost halfway through it. Then after the announcements, I open up the Bible, and, and we have what? Read the Scripture. There's preaching. The fifth thing going on, happening to y'all, while I'm doing the talking, y'all should be doing what? There's listening. Now, when all that's said and done, and we get past whatever is going to happen for any type of an invitation, then, then we make ushers stand up, and we do what? We give money. And then some people do this. See, some people are the last ones here and the first ones to leave. But then others, uh, they, they, they don't leave immediately. The seventh thing we do, what, what's it say for number seven? Hang out after church. Now, to me, that sounds like a pretty good day at church. If I went to church and, and there was some singing, some handshaking, some announcements, some preaching, some listening, some giving money in the offering, and some hanging out after church, I'm like, that's, that's, that's okay. But that's not everything it should be. That's what it is. But what it needs to be is different. Say different. It needs to be more. Say more. Lost people come to church, all they see is some singing, some handshaking, some announcements, some preaching, some listening, some money, and some people hanging out after church. That is what it looks like in the natural. Let me tell you how it's designed in the supernatural. Let me tell you the transition, the difference that we have to move from and that we have to put massive effort into making sure that what we do here is not just singing, shaking hands, announcements, preaching, listening, giving money, and hanging out after church. We've got to change some stuff, say change. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn singing into praise and worship. Now, if you come here and all you experience is singing, then you got this much out of that portion of the church. But if you turn singing into personal praise and worship, you are liking it a whole lot better. If anybody ever really praised the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. This is what needs to happen. I told you we're going to see what the church is and what it should be. We, we do the singing, but we got to get the singing into praise and worship. That's why I'm trying to lean you all into some of these videos. Um, some, some songs that may be more familiar uh, to some of you, uh, some songs that might actually get your blood flowing, because here's the reality. Y'all working this praise and worship crowd and these musicians to death, because these praise and worship practice all week long. They have practice together. They practice before service. They practice different times. Uh, and then they, they, they've got people. Uh, he, he, he's holy. He's whole, he, he's, he's, he's protector, protect, and you got people saying. Deliverer, deliverer. That ain't barely even singing. But it's certainly not praise and worship. If we ever outnumber them when it comes to praise and worship, if the us's ever outnumber the them's, Praise and worship is going to happen at a high level, at Abundant Life. 
Now, I'm not even saying us and them. Normally, us and them is talking about saved people and unsaved people. What I'm talking about, the, if, if the us, if people who are saved that have brought their praise with them, that are just on ready, that are just like, I don't even care what song they sing today, I'm going to sing to God. I don't, if I don't know the words, I'll make up some words as I go, but I'm going to get my praise in. If we, the, the, the we who really love God and have been praising him all week long, if we bring our praise and our worship with us when we come into this place, it is going, anybody believe that's better than just singing? Oh, man, I wish I had 10 people that understood what I'm trying to say. Let me give you some Bible on it. Psalm 13, 6, the psalmist says, I will sing to the Lord because he has been so good to me. Do we have that verse? Psalm, one, thir- Psalm 13, 6. This is making it personal. This is make, making it uh, between you and God. I will sing. Not we will sing. I will sing. Now, oh, I should have done it. I should have done it. We got professional lighting. We got professional uh, hooded lighting. We got professional video cameras. We used to video services uh, and, and tape all that stuff. I should have brought somebody in here with a, with, 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 with a handheld camera. We used to do announcements on to get B-roll footage and just filmed all y'all when we were singing. Here's what we would have witnessed. Some people were singing. Some people weren't even singing. Some people, the less of the the crowd, were praising God and worshiping God. So here's the reality. We got outnumbered today. And here's why we got outnumbered today. Because some of y'all that are truly saved, that could praise and worship God if you felt like it, decided not to today. That's an ouch. That's a stepped on my toes. That's a we need to fall down and repent. Why in the world would somebody choose to not sing to the Lord because he's been good to them? Number one, because they think their personality or their personal um, preference gives them a hall path. God didn't say if you love singing and you feel like singing, sing to me. Your personality has nothing to do, your singing ability has nothing to do with it. God said, sing to him. And the psalmist said, I will sing to the Lord. You need to get a, I will sing, not for the crowd, not for the worship team, not for the, not for the, I will sing to the Lord. Why? Because he's been good to me. He's been so good to me. Most people don't think about how good God has been to them. Most people think about their trouble. Most people think about their sadness. Most people think about what they wish they had, but they don't. If you'd ever stop and take real inventory of what God has done good for you, it would shock you right into prayer. It would shock you right into praise. It would put you in a mindset that says, he has been good to me. He's been better to me than I deserve. And you need to learn. If you're here and you're saved, you need to learn how to turn singing into praise and worship. And the way is to get personal with it. The way is to participate in it yourself. Not just wait till it's over. How many songs are they going to sing? A hundred. How about that? Six hours worth. How about that? Some of y'all are like, well, I can't be here six hours. Uh, Okay, three hours. Well, I can't be here three hours. I got a a three-and-a-half-hour football game I need to watch. I got the 1 o'clock game and the 4 o'clock game. Then I got the 8 o'clock game. I got 12 hours of football to watch. I can't be here for two hours. 
Are you kidding me? People go to music festivals three days, sleep in the mud, get up and listen to music all day the next day. Now, that's just nasty, but that's commitment. They love being there. They want to be there. You got to get to the place where you decide, I will. Not, I won't, not just I'll watch what other people do. I'll check the clock until it's finally time where we can sit down. No, I will. That's how you turn singing into praise and worship. Psalm 30, verse 4 says, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. You don't, you don't have to have, be able to think of something great that happened to you this week. You don't have to have had your politician win an election or, or your bank account be looking good. You don't have to have just gotten a raise. If you just think about how holy God is, if you think of the goodness of God, the greatness of God, and the fact that he allows us to come in here and to just speak the name of Jesus, it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take you out of singing, and it's going to bring you in to praise and worship. Psalm 100, verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Man, I just wish the Lord would show up. God's going to show up when the praise breaks through. God's going to show up when us outnumber them. When there are more people in here searching for God in song, singing out praise and worship to God, forgetting about what they look like and sound like to everybody else, and just saying, you know what, I'm going to sing to God because I love Him, because He's holy, because He's been good to me, because He's the only God that cares. And then that's when we start turning this around. The Bible says in Psalm 147, verse 1, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and praise is beautiful. Do you know, I tell y'all all the time, because I don't need y'all telling me. Um, I, sound booth don't even care to be fired because they know that we got nobody to replace them. I've been threatening them. If they don't quit turning my microphone off when I'm singing, I'm going to fire them. <laughs> I sing loud and I'm not a good singer. And the reason I sing loud and I want my microphone louder than everybody else's is because I want you to know that it doesn't matter if you have a good singing voice or not. You ought to sing loud to the Lord. It's not about your personality. It's not about how you think you sound, how other people think you sound. Listen to what God says, that your singing praises to him. He thinks it's pleasant and it's beautiful. I'm going to tell you this. If you love the person you say you love and they're singing love songs to you, you dig it. I never, I never had one time. I, we used to ride down the road and sing. I would sing to Gail all the time. We sing Christian songs together. I was singing her favorite song at 8.14 on Sunday morning on July 16th, uh, 2006 when she took her last breath on this planet I was singing I could only imagine as her what she had imagined was becoming sight to her she liked to hear me sing why because she loved me and she knew I loved her and she knew I was singing to her in love and when God hears you singing to him in love he's not going to be like mm. well, what was my guy Randy's big thing on that, on that American Idol show what was Randy's last name Randy Jackson, Randy Jackson, <laughs> he, he, he'd always say, and he never even defined it. I guess he just expected people to know. He'd be like, 
it's just all right for me, dog. I mean, it's a little pitchy. It's pitchy. What do you mean by it was pitchy? He didn't ever explain it, but it's just all right for me, dog. It's a little pitchy. God's not up there thinking, it's all right for me, dog, but it's a little pitchy. It's a little sharp. It's a little flat. It's a little, little. No, God is saying, man, that's, all, that's beautiful. The sound of his children singing love songs to him rejoices the heart of every father. And you need to move beyond your natural thinking, and you need to move into the realm of saying, man, I, I, I need to do what God said. I, he, he said it's, it's pleasant and it's beautiful when I sing praise to him, so I'm going to do it because I love him no matter what people think about me. Hebrews 2.12 says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren, and in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Do you see how personal that is? That is not for what everybody else needs to be doing. That's for what I need to be doing. And when you get to that place where you're not saying, oh, I wonder how many songs they're going to sing, how many songs praise and worship going to sing today, and oh, I wonder if Pastor's going to bring in one of those videos again. I hope it's short. That's not, that's not the mindset of I love him so much I just want to sing to him. I, love, I remember before I was saved, I used to go to a lot of concerts. Jacksonville was a premier concert destination in the 70s. Those of y'all that didn't live here don't know. It was, a, the, it, was, it was as big a music city as there was. Every group came to Jacksonville and did Jacksonville in a big way. And I went, I, I went to concerts where sometimes when they said that was it, they left. It didn't matter how long the crowd screamed and chanted and stomped feet. They were already gone. Uh, I mean, the, the, the number one singer back then, uh, they had an expression uh, to make them people go home. Anybody, anybody know what, what, the, what the microphone man would come on two minutes after the last song was sang? He would say, Elvis has left the building. Quit begging for Elvis has left the building. You're standing there hoping he's going to peek his head back out. Listen, Elvis didn't do it uh, often. But I'm going to tell you this, when I was unsaved in the late 70s, I went to a Charlie Daniels concert at the Jacksonville Coliseum. Um, and Charlie Daniels, I think he, it, it was at least a dozen encores. It was over four hours, this guy. He kept coming out, kept, and the crowd was just going nuts. And he came out, leave, this last song, guys, you've been great. He'd walk off, they were, just going, they were tearing the roof off the place chanting his name, he came back out, he came back out with a bottle of whiskey in his hand, he'd already went to the back, started drinking and, and was done, he came out with a bottle of whiskey in his hand, and he said, I sang everything, I already know how to sing, but I just love that y'all love loving me sing, he said, so I'll, I'll go back to an old one, he took a big swallow of, of, of Jack Daniels, set it down, and, and, and sang a 10 minute rendition of Amazing Grace. Now, I'm not believing Amazing Grace was his go-to song, but what I am saying is the people, he hit the nail on the head. The people loved hearing him sing. They kept begging him to sing more, and he loved the fact that they were loving hearing him sing so much, he kept singing. Now, when are you going to start knowing that God loves to hear you sing? So your people were, oh, we got five songs today? Oh, that's a lot. 
to sing. You ought to know that God is up there loving to hear you sing, and you ought to give God. Charlie Daniels gave the people what they wanted. What was that? One more song. One more song. One more song. And you ought to be willing to give God one more song. Well, I don't like to sing. Doesn't matter. Well, I don't have a good singing voice. Doesn't matter. Do you love God, and are you willing to do what God said? The Hebrew writer said, I, I will sing praise unto thee in the midst of the church. This is what church should be. See, there's got to be more to singing than what most people experience. So what we've got to do, us together, we've got to turn singing into praise and worship. I can't do that for you. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I, I, I can tell you that God wants you to sing, but you can sit there mean and angry all you want to. I can tell you God thinks the sound of your voice is beautiful and he longs to hear you tell him that you love him, but I can't, I can't give you the love for him. We're going to have to make it personal. We're going to have to really, listen, sing to God. This is one thing where choirs mess up. They, especially big mega churches that pay their musicians and their singers exorbitant amounts of money, and these people are so professional. And we've had people come through here and I've had to send them off to the side um, and let them know, uh, you're not performing here. You're not Elvis. You're not Rick James. Um, this, this, we're singing to God. Pe people get a little too, you know, uh, stage presence on them. Listen, we're singing to the Lord not to impress each other. And that's from the, the, the people from here all the way to the back. But we've got to turn the church from what people see it as to what it ought to be. And I promise you this, if a bunch of lost people, if one lost person came into this room and more people were praising and worshiping God during the singing, it would be like, whoa, something's going on here. These people got something I don't have. We got all the mega churches right now participate in a couple different strategies. One's life-giving. They never say anything that cause somebody to feel bad about themselves uh, because to quote uh, the largest church pastor in America, Joel Osteen said, well, people get beat up all week long. I think my job is to make them feel good when they come to church. That's stupid. Um, can you imagine a coach being down by 16 at the half, pass, passing out awards? Uh, we're, we're losing, guys. Um, we, we're getting beat, but, man, you just, you just made a good – and just start handing out game balls at half to the losing team. That ain't how it goes. You don't get participation trophies when you're losing in real sports. He got to get in there and tell people, y'all better get it together, y'all getting beat. You got you to tell people the truth. But the, these large churches, they, 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 they say, well, we want to try to make sure that un unsaved people are comfortable when they come to our church so they'll keep coming back. Mm. If an unsaved person ever got in a service where God was really moving, they'd be so uncomfortable. They'd be so like, Man, I don't feel like I got what these people got. Do they have it or are they faking it? Um, there, there would be a measure of difference, and we ought to get to the place where we turn singing into praise and worship to the point where it honors God and where people come in and they realize, wow, these people sound bad, but they sure do put their heart into it. Or eventually we sound good and we put our heart into it. But if you're not putting your heart into your singing, all you're doing is singing. What else we need to turn? We need to turn shaking hands into fellowship. 
Fellowship is a word talked about a lot in churches. The Greek word for our English word fellowship is koinonia, and it, it, it loosely means fellowship, but let, let me give you a couple of words that more greatly identify it right out of a Greek Bible. Mutual and friendly partnership. That's what we should have here. We should have inside this group, this body of Christ we call ourselves, this local church we call ourselves, this family of believers we call ourselves, these brothers and sisters in Christ we call ourselves, this Abundant Life Christian Fellowship that we call ourselves. There should be mutual, friendly partnership. That's just rain. It ain't going to knock the building down. Everybody's like, y'all been doing this for five minutes. Some of y'all didn't figure it out yet, so I thought I'd let you know. Uh, ain't you glad it, didn't, it wasn't raining when you walked in? All right. Um, mutual, friendly partnership. Everybody that's here today is not here for a mutual partnership with the other people in this room. I don't care about them people. I'm just in church. That, that's why folk don't like church, because that's, you, you're doing it in a natural way, not in a supernatural way. Here's some more uh, expanded definition out of the Greek dictionary. To be a part of an association, a community, whereby you have joint participation and intimacy. Now, I ain't trying to let these people get to know me. Well, then you're not trying to have fellowship. Well, I ain't trying to have my whole life wrapped up at the church. Well, you're not trying to have fellowship. Well, I got places to go, and I already got enough friends. I don't want to be friends with any of those people up there. Well, then you're the reason why churches can't give that look of what God wants the church to look like because too many people refuse to do what God has said to do. Now, I've said it many times. I, I'm, it's not enough for us to be a friendly church. I want us to be a church full of friends. And that's hard to make happen when you, when you come late and leave early. That's hard to make happen when you never show up to men's group and sit down and let us know who you are. That's hard to make happen when you never show up to women's group, when you don't go to youth, when you, when, when you don't serve in a ministry. People who serve in a ministry get to know each other. People on the praise and worship team, they get to know each other. They get to build friendships inside there. Sometimes they get to aggravate each other. Uh, same way with food and clothing. Same way people who work with the youth, people who work in the nursery, people who work in the finance ministry. It's a place where you can have mutual, friendly partnership. Now, see, I've always said that I believe the church ought to be the hub of the community. It ought to be the community connector. People move in, they ought to stop by the church and say, hey, we're, we're, we're Christians, we just moved here from wherever, and we were just wondering if there's a good dentist in the area. Where, where, where's, where's the library? Where, where, where's, where's a good school? People ought to be able to stop by and get connected to everything else that's going on because there's a local church full of people there that they can trust to tell them the truth. I've had this view. We did this one time. Um, I don't even remember uh, who, who was even there way back then. Um, it's been so long ago, early in the foundation of our church. We had a uh, local bar night on Sunday night, and we actually had uh, a, a couple of people that went in our helps ministry. They were walking around pouring Coke and tea and lemonade and filling people's glasses up like they were barmaids, and we had pretzels, bowls, and and, and uh, nuts in bowls, and we sat at a horseshoe, and I taught, and we just sat around and uh, had like a Wednesday night Bible study kind of thing. Um, and, and anybody, it was, 
I don't even know if anybody in this room was, was any, anybody ever at that? My mom ra raised her hand. Nancy, you were there? That was at, that was at one of the schools. I, I, I think it was at the junior high school. Um, but it came to me as somebody who grew up watching Cheers. Now, Cheers had probably the greatest theme song of any TV show ever because it exposed the nature of human beings and what everybody wants. And the, the, the song to the show Cheers said, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. People want to be where they can see our troubles are all the same. People want to be where everybody knows your name. That's why the NCO club will always be packed. I went to the NCO club every day after work. Any, any, anybody ever been in the military? You used, to, you used to go by the club every day. For, you can't go home. Why, why would you go home? All your soldier friends are at the club. I was a chaplain's assistant. I wasn't in there drinking, but I paid the at, at, at our NCO club, if you paid $15 a month, you got to eat all the, all the uh, snack foods. You get what, Dick? Right, you get all the chicken wings every day. You go in there, and it was every day um, from, from uh, 4.30 to 6.30 where I was. That was wasn't nobody going home between 4.30 and 6.30. Why? We were going up there to see our friends. We were going up there to see. We were going up there to eat free chicken wings, drink all the Mountain Dew they could run out of that fountain. Why? Because it was a place where we knew each other. We had common experiences. People want to be where they can see our troubles are all the same. Cop bars, cops have their own bars, don't they, Hugo? Depending people know. Oh, don't go in there, that's a cop bar. Well, how did it turn into a cop bar? Well, because a couple cops started going there or a cop opened it up and they were friendly to, and cops could go in there and hang out with other cops. And that's community. That's fellowship. That's mutual partnership. Some of y'all grew up kids playing at the park. I hope you never had one of those shirts. Um, I was always jealous of it because my mom was always working. Uh, I didn't have a dad to watch me play sports, and my mom was always working, and she didn't get to watch me play sports. But every park has got one of those women, Joey's mom, written across the way. Anybody ever seen one of those park rats? Got Bob's mom written across the back of her jersey. I hope you never had Malachi's mom written across the back of your jersey. Okay. Uh, but there are people that live at the park. They're Normandy Athletic Association. I promise you this. There are people that, that just, they stay up there. That's where they, they play sports year-round. The moms go up there. They work the concession stands. They, they score the games. They pass out the jerseys. They bring the clean washroom. It's where they do life together with other people. Where do you think God wants us to do life together? At church. It's one of the reasons he put the church together. So for for organization, for structure, for leadership, and for fellowship. Man, I, I, that show cheers, the consistency of it. Every time the fat guy would walk in the door, the whole bar would turn around and scream his name. What? Norm. Norm. You know that made Norm feel good? They had a show one time. Norm walks in, and he's like, somebody was sitting in his stool. He didn't even know what to do. He was like, so they made him move. It's like, you know, you got to let Norm sit in his chair. It's a lot like church people. There's nothing wrong with wanting to come to church 
often enough and consistent enough until people know what your name is. You ought to come to church that way. You ought to come to, the Bible says if you want to have friends, you need to show yourself friendly. This ought to be a place where we can come, where our troubles are all the same, where we all know each other's name, and we're here together on one purpose. i got to move quick. Let me get through this. Jesus said in John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. we got to turn shaking hands into a time to looking for someone to encourage. See, when I turn around, when I say turn around and smile at somebody, I mean be intentional about that. I mean look for somebody and, and connect with them. Go shake their hand. Go, go, go introduce yourself. And here's the great church fallback. Uh, if someone, uh, I'm out Jake right now. We didn't even talk about this ahead of time, but I'll talk to him today at lunch about it. I already know at least four times. I saw some people greet you, shake your hand. You, you, you got to get back to the Marines soon. You got a lot of million things on your mind. Uh, nobody's perfect with everybody's names. Uh, but, but somebody shook your hand today that you didn't know their name right off the top of your head. Uh, I don't know if you did it or if you didn't, but it's, it's a church fallback. Did, did you throw brother or sister at anybody? Yeah. See, that, that's the great church fallback. Somebody comes up to you in church, acts like you ought to know them. Because you've seen them a thousand times. Hey, what's up? What, what, what's, what's up, Pastor Scott? What's going on, brother, man? Brother, sister, friend, you just throw that out there. But you need to show up long enough, come to men's meeting, come to small group meeting, come to a chili cook-off, um, and let's turn shaking hands into real fellowship, which includes having a time to encourage people. When we were in the big building on Blanding, running over 500 people uh, on Sunday, we had someone come to our church, and they turned in a letter and asked somebody up front to give that to the pastor. And I got a letter on my desk right after church, and it was, uh, it was their suicide letter that they had written to their mom. And they wrote a letter to go along with it and said, I was going to give this to my mother, leave this for my mother, and kill myself today, but I thought I'd try church one more time. And they said, uh, this young man uh, named Marcus, you remember, you remember Marcus, you remember uh, Marcus, uh, Mike and Sharon's son? Uh, she said, but this, this young man named Marcus had such a genuine smile, and he was kind to me, I thought I'll try to live another day. And I thought, now see, this is why it's so important when the preacher says, turn around and shake somebody's hand, that we move it from handshaking to encouraging each other. Be genuine. Smile at somebody. Introduce yourself to somebody. Care about somebody. Don't just act like you care about somebody. Care about somebody. People matter to God. People ought to matter to us we got to turn announcement time into an opportunity to serve. When I'm up here telling you what's happening, y'all know I don't like reading announcements. I've never made that a secret. Uh, but when I'm up here telling you what's going on through the week, um, it, it isn't so you can say, oh, I'm glad that's happening. No, it's so you can get involved in it. Oh, cool, they're having a parents' night out. That, that sounds, that's, that's a nice thing to do. Well, 
Are you going to bring your kids? Well, I don't have kids. Well, are you going to come help us watch other people's kids? Well, you know, I'm pretty spoiled and selfish, and I don't like to do anything for anybody but my, well, you wouldn't admit that. But it's, an, it's not just so you can hear the events. It's to give you an opportunity to get involved in serving God. Next is preaching. We've got to turn preaching into hearing from God. We've got some of the greatest preachers in the world alive right now. I mean, people preach the paint off the walls, people that just incredible gifts to preach. But it doesn't matter who's preaching. If you're not hearing from God, you're missing out on what the preaching is designed to do. Preaching is just the natural part. Hearing from God, that's the supernatural part. So you got to turn preaching into hearing from God. You, when, when I stand up here and preach, there's, there's, there's lots of things you can do. You can sleep. See that every week. You can listen. I see some of that. You can choose not to listen. I see a lot of that. You can encourage me by participating and acting interested. Uh, I th- I'm, I'm thankful for some of that. But the last and best thing you can do is desperately try to hear something that God would say to you. Because it might just be this much. You might have to, you just might have to stay in here for as long as it takes, but you hear one little thing from God, and you're like, that's it. It's what I needed right there. I, need, I needed to hear that because that's what we need to turn preaching into. We need to turn preaching into hearing from God. The, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The, the God, uh, just, just go to 1 Corinthians one twenty one. I'm going to skip a bunch of this, Elder, so we get out of here. 1 Corinthians one twenty one says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's a lot of words to say what? God chose preaching as the mechanism to bring salvation to the majority of people who would ever get saved. You ought to be bringing people with you that need to hear the gospel. This is, this is one of the primary ways people get saved. Preaching the cross brings salvation and faith. Let me, let me, let me move on. We've got to turn listening to obeying. Say obeying. Well, people hate obeying. But I told you the best thing you can do while I preach is desperately try to hear from God. But, but it can't just stop at hearing. There's got to be more to that. You can't just say, oh, I really got my toes stepped on today. Uh, I, I know I need to do better. Uh, no, you've got to know that God was speaking to you, but don't leave it at that. Obey what he says. Obey what you learn and actually do something with it. Then we, go, then we give money, but we've got to turn money, turn giving money in the offering into, hear this, obeying God and investing. Say invest. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, But I say this, He which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly, but he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Put, put verse 6 back on the screen for me, Elder. The Bible says, If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Now, sowing is casting seed. That's throwing money in the offering plate. Reaping is bringing in the harvest. That's your investments getting bigger. Some people's investments have gotten bigger in an economic downturn just out of supernatural miracle uh, blessing from God. Other people have lost less money than some of their contemporaries, but the bottom line reality is God can't lie. And if you give a little, you get a little. And if you give a lot, you'll get a lot. That's a biblical principle that cannot be undone. So when it comes time to give money in the offering, you ought to look at it as a way to obey God and a way to invest in what God is doing. The Bible says, and I'm not going to read you all these verses, 
it, it's so clear in the Bible. Uh, God says that the tithe is holy unto him. The tithe belongs to him. If you try to stack up money without giving money to God, God will blow on your money and make it go away. If you try to save money without giving to God, God will put a hole in your pocket and you'll lose your money. God says if you try to give money to uh, save money without being faithful to giving money, that that money will make itself wings and surely fly away. We need people say, well, I just don't think uh, tithing is just religious. Uh, I don't think tithing is, is for New Testament Christians. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23, you must tithe. He said the problem is you forget to do the other things. But, but tithing is not optional. I mean, you, can, you cannot do it. You have that much of an option, but not if, not if you want God to bless your money. The greatest investment I've ever made, and God has blessed me to make some incredible investments in my lifetime, um, but by far the greatest investment I've ever made is the money that I've freely given to the advancement of God's kingdom so that men and women and boys and girls around this world can hear that Jesus loves them and there's a God that has a place for them. It's the greatest investment we can make. Got a heartbreaking letter. Um, from, did I say Carlos and Evelyn Ruiz on Ecuador? Got a heartbreaking letter from Carlos this week. Got a flag that says Ecuador. It's got Carlos and Evelyn's name on it. They've been here, preached for us, come share what God is doing. Every one of these flags are money that people, we send money to every month. The money you give goes to, goes to uh, some of it goes to these people every month to advance the kingdom of God around the world. It's our investment. We make in evangelism and in world missions. And Carlos sent, and he's a very generous, very humble guy. Um, he, he's so funny, though. He came one year. Now, now imagine this. I'm, I'm just a, a shade under 5'10", and according to my most recent doctor visit, I weigh 229.8 pounds. Um, so that's, that's not a tall person, but that's a, that's a very uh, fat person. And Carlos is Ecuadorian. He's about five foot three and weighs about 120 pounds. Okay, if you've ever met him, you, you'll know this guy says, this is a little guy. He brings me a shirt one year from Ecuador, handmade. It's one of the favorite shirts that um, he likes to wear. And it's got Ecuadorian colors in it, and it's very colorful and a beautiful shirt. And he said, you're my friend, and I think we are the same size, so I get you my same size. I, I, I think it will fit. <laughs> Bruh, I'm nine inches taller than you. I outweigh you by almost 100 pounds. Could, could, could you imagine? I mean, if... if, if if, if Nancy tried to give you her shirt and say, I'm, 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 you, you, you think that's going to be good across your back? That's just, anyway, good dude. Sent a sad, when I read it, I got sad because I thought, man, our, our giving's been going backwards for so long right now. But he asked, he said, that he prefaced it very humbly that if you can't, your, your gifts through the years have been a life to us and appreciated. But we are asking our most faithful givers in this time of poverty for our nation, could you possibly consider asking God if he would allow you to increase your monthly gift? He's never asked us for more money. 
And this is an extremely humble, soul-winning man. He loves the Lord. And I had to look at that letters on the front top of my desk right now. And I thought, now, of course I want to give these people more money. We got, we got bills. We're, we're stretching to pay right now, though. We got, we got money going backwards because people won't give. But why, why, why don't people give money in the offering? Because they don't care about obeying God and investing. And then you hear people use cliches. Well, you can't outgive the Lord. Uh, no, you can't. But some people don't even try. And I'm going to tell you what. If you ever change your giving money in the bucket to investing in God's kingdom, then you're going to step into Luke 6, 38. God said, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you give, it shall be given to you again. All right, I could talk on that a lot, but I'm going to get out of here. Turn, we got to turn hanging out after church into developing relationships and friendships. It's great. Some of my favorite time. And, and, and you all know, I, I will stand around uh, and, and talk after church and, and and until everybody's done talking, uh, I, I want to hear your stories. I want to, I want to, uh, you know, find out what you're into. But we've got to turn hanging around after church into developing real friendships. God said in Psalm 133, verse one: "Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity." Every dad wants the same thing. Hang in there. I'm almost done. We're going to get out of here. I've told you this before, but you need to get this. Every father wants the same thing inside his home he wants total obedience and no what no drama total obedience no drama figure it out get it done you know what you're supposed to do now do it that's what every father wants why because it's it's pleasant when the kids get along it's good and pleasant when they're 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 working together in unity um I, I, I brag on Alex and Ava a lot because they're just they're phenomenal kids. Are there ever times where they're not getting along in unity? They, 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 they're human too? Okay. So we, we get to see the best of the best, but every parent knows that when kids are acting crazy, that, that works on our crazy. That, 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 that makes us, you know, like, y'all just need to learn how to get along. Listen, church, you need to learn how to develop friendships and relationships because there's more to singing. There's more to church than singing. Shaking hands, preaching, listening, giving money, and hearing announcements and hanging out after church. That's not a bad schedule. That's not a bad format. But it's not the same as experiencing real praise and worship, true fellowship, finding an opportunity to serve God, getting involved in his kingdom, hearing what he's saying, obeying what he's saying, investing your money, and building Real friendships. I told you, title of, the, title of the message, there has to be more to church than most people see. I'm here to tell you there is. If all you see is that first set of things, it's probably because you're not participating in the second set of things that I told you should be. Listen to this tape online. Reread these notes. Understand your personal requirement to be the church.
and to do these things that God has called us to do. We got to turn singing into praise and worship. We got to turn shaking hands into fellowship. We got to turn announcements into an opportunity to serve God. We got to turn preaching into hearing. We got to turn listening into obeying. We got to turn giving money in the offering into obeying God and investing. We got to turn hanging out after church into develop relationships and friendships. And this right here, I wasn't even going to out this. I wasn't even going to out this because it's not even December yet. This right here is going to guide us through 2023. This, 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 is, where we're, this is where we're going to be as, as a body of believers. We're going to come together. We're going to turn our singing into praise and worship. We're going to go right down this list, and we're going to do all these things. And you know what? Our Father's going to smile. And he's going to be happy. And he's going to he, – see, everybody says they want to hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. How are you, how you even going to try to live up to that cliche when you know you're not doing your best? Not doing your best. Every one of us have a purpose in our life, and God wants you to get busy doing the purpose he gave you. If you're here and you're unsaved, none of this stuff really applies to you. You can't, you can't get on with the getting on until you get on with it. And if you're here and you're not truly saved, you ought to pray and ask God to save you. Maybe you've done that before, and maybe it didn't work for you. I, my same testimony, I did it several times. I walked out, prayed prayers, got baptized. Never, never really became a big deal to me because I never searched for him with my whole heart. And God said, you'll find me when you search for me with your whole heart. If you really want to get saved, the Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you ask God to save you and you mean it, he'll do it. Some of you are saved and you've been drifting. You ought to look at your own seven-step approach to life. And you ought to look and see what, which of these could you do better. Because every one of us in this room need to be doing these seven things. And we need to be doing it not for ourselves, but for the God who saved us. And put his spirit inside us to empower us to be and to do all that God has called us to be and to do. Pray with me. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for giving us your spirit. God, I pray that we would move from the natural to the supernatural. God, I pray that we would move from the mundane to the miraculous. God, I pray that you would help us to do things that would honor you so that the whole world would know that there is one true God. His name is Jehovah. He has one son named Jesus and one Bible for us to study and to live by. Thank you, God, for being so gracious to us. We bless you and honor you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to alcfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.